Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. My guest today, Jennifer Matheson, who's EVP of Strategy and Insights at Catapult. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, Catapult, we should start off by setting up a bit of the background. You're part of the Epsilon Network, which I assume means you're owned by Alliance Data, correct? That's correct. And what's the relationship with Epsilon? What, what basically connects, connects you together? Well, Epsilon um, is really one of the world's premier data and technology companies uh, and a marketing services company. And within Epsilon, they have a couple of different uh, agencies. Uh, And we happen to be one of those agencies. Um, Catapult was a pre-existing agency when they were purchased as part of an acquisition by Epsilon a few years ago. Um, So um, Catapult's specific legacy is actually in shopper marketing, Mm -hmm. which means that as an agency institutionally, we were very strong at um, motivating shoppers and consumers to make a purchase or a transaction. And as time has progressed, uh, we've taken that expertise in terms of our ability to drive what we would call conversions and brought it into sort of further and further up up the funnel um, so that um, the our ability to Um, drive somebody to take action or to convert, uh, we can now express that in, for example, above-the-line advertising. It's not just in an in-store environment anymore. So that's why we've we've sort of come full circle. Interesting. So how long has Catapult been been in existence? I want to say about at least 10 years. Okay. So I imagine if we went back 10 years, you'd see a much more traditional agency model. Um, I, I don't know how long you've been involved in the space, but how you see things changing in terms of the importance of data and the ability to really focus at quite granular mm. level on, on right. what shoppers are likely to do. Right. Well, I've, I've been with Catapult for three years, and I've been in the agency space for about 14 years mm-hmm. um, with a, some sidebars off into consulting. And certainly data has become more and more important. Um, and it's important in a few ways. Uh, one that's, um, you know, obviously... Uh, uh, with DMPs and programmatic media buying, we're able to target the consumer in uh, you know much more exacting a way than we ever could before, uh, and so that leads to just a much more efficient marketing spend, right? Because you're not wasting impressions on people who are not in market or who are not a good demographic fit or or what have you. So that's obviously critically important. But interestingly, we can take that data um, around with these highly uh, targeted media buys and analyze that data and understand who responds to what and that helps us to deepen our insight into the consumer um, to um, not just for targeting purposes but for profiling purposes to develop our concepts, our messages and even our brands to understand uh, who are the consumers with whom we resonate. So that's one piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, another really important piece of it is uh, the, com- the sort of third-party compiled data space, which is a- another space where Epsilon really excels. Um, they have a product called Total Source Plus Data, which um, uh, is uh, really kind of helps us to really dimensionalize um, households in terms of not only their demographics, but the kinds of things they purchase, uh, the things they purchase on their credit card, and then we can append that data to panel data with, for example, MRI, so that we can understand their media behaviors, um, some of their sort of beliefs, uh, all kinds of things. So it really gives us a very rich place to play in terms of consumer insights as well as targeting, and what I think is really exciting is starting to use those insights um, to go further upstream into product development, right? Because the better your product, yeah. the, the, the less hard you have to work to market it. 
it's interesting. It's something I've been hearing from a number of sources that the customer data these days is not just about predicting what the customer will do next, although of course that's of great interest, but predicting what uh, the brand should be doing in terms of not just, as you say, product development, but also inventory, that kind of thing. What yes. are people going to want and when are they going to want it? Right, and you know, we, we're starting to think of CMOs not just as folks who do these you know, amazing brand campaigns um, or marketing campaigns, but really the new champion of the all-up customer experience, right. right? And so CMOs in this new world should really have more of a voice in product development, um, the, the digital experience, the in-store experience, whatever it may be, because ultimately it's part and parcel. What the product being sold is part and parcel with the experience people have in accessing it, right? And we, we really think that in the future, the way that people access many products is already, it's really already changing very dramatically. Yeah. Um, so both how you access them in terms of distribution and the retail experience, um, but also in terms of how you engage with products in the digital space, how you learn about them, how they come onto your radar screen. And so we're looking into a lot of that as well. Okay. And we've actually heard some news today, which I want to come back to, which is very much about how people are going to mm. go about shopping in the future. But before we get there, I wanted to talk to you about kind of an informal case study. One of the things I know you've been involved in was um, the launch of PurePoint Financial, which is an interesting kind of bank. Can you tell us more about them and how, how you help them out? Sure. Um, so um, PurePoint is um, owned by Mitsubishi Financial. Oh, okay. Uh, and so we partnered with uh, the team there um, as they were really... Um, looking to understand what is the future of banking, right? And we were talking just a minute ago about the importance of product development in um, really driving a, a frictionless marketing experience and a cost-effective marketing experience. And so um, the folks at, at uh, Mitsubishi Financial were really looking to create a banking experience and products that are what people are looking for. And so what it is is really very high, uh, high interest rate savings vehicles, um, savings accounts and CDs. Um, with um, very few financial centers, or I would call them almost like the branch of the future. Okay, yeah. Uh, and much of the experience is digital. So from um, sort of developing that experience, we did two things with that team. Um, one is we helped them to develop the brand and the brand identity and how they were going to go to market. And the other thing was we helped them to put together essentially an acquisition engine, right? Because they started off as of, you know, February 20th, they had zero customers. Oh, uh, so okay. they had to go out and, you know, really build this brand and build this uh, company um, very quickly. And so we, we used a lot of the sort of... Uh, marketing technologies and data that we were talking about earlier to go out and identify prospective customers and go and convert them. That's interesting. It's like producing an audience almost out of thin air, but based on a lot of yes. data. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Now, talking about um, a bank which is almost entirely a digital product, the news which we heard shortly before we sat down to record the, po the podcast was that perhaps the pioneer of digital retail, Amazon, just went and bought itself a big grocery chain, to say the least. Yeah. And I know you've got some thoughts about that. What, what right. are they thinking? 
Well, it's a, it's really really exciting. I think um, many of us in the industry are still still sort of processing this mm-hmm. news. In some ways, it's not. Uh, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that Amazon would want to do this. They've been wanting to get into sort of you know fresh and grocery space for some time, and uh, were never probably able to get the momentum that they may have wanted. So this gives them boom, you know, um, access to that supply chain as well as the 465 brick and mortar stores. Uh, and we know they're already getting into the brick and mortar experience, for example, they're starting to open um, some of the bookstores and whatnot. So they are, it's interesting how they are becoming an omni-channel retailer yes. um, after having been really the, the first most you know truly successful um, online retailer. So that's really exciting. Uh, it also gives them access to um, a pretty specific segment of the market, right? So uh, they'll be physically close to uh, so many consumers, and many of those consumers are sort of you know, middle and higher income. So it's interesting, are they, is this just to get into the sort of grocery space and experience the brick and mortar business, or is this also a play for a very specific segment of the population that they want to win in? Uh, So it'll be really interesting to see what they do with this, um, particularly given that recently, um, Kroger in particular was um, taking a lot of share from Whole Foods in terms of its prepared foods, which is Mm -hmm. one of its higher margin products, uh, and was kind of, um, you know, beating them at their own, kind of game in, in some ways, and it'll be, it will be very interesting to see how that changes. Um, but we really uh, believe that the way consumers access food is changing, yeah. right? So if you look, I don't know, five or ten years out, um, you, may, you may find that uh, the model that we have now where you go to the store, you stock up with several days' worth of groceries, you come home and you cook everything, is very much changing. Certainly that's not how millennials acquire food today, right? They're doing home delivery in terms of Uber Eats. Uh, they are some of the biggest, most frequent uh, convenience store shoppers around, and convenience stores are offering a broader range of products to accommodate them. So they're much more about this sort of just-in-time, what-do-I-want-to-eat-today-and-tomorrow type of mode, sort of almost instant gratification. And based on that, I would not be surprised if we saw really a resurgence in uh, really interesting and creative vending solutions um, and uh, other things that sort of blur the lines between what is retail, what is dining, what is delivery, and that kind of thing. So it'll be very exciting to see uh, whether Amazon, with all of its resources and now this foothold with uh, Whole Foods, is able to deliver transformational experiences in terms of how people access food. It's a very interesting wave, isn't it? Because it made complete sense that books, for example, or CDs, if anyone remembers CDs, these should become pure digital products because you can literally transform them into digital products. Now, food isn't digital, but what it seems I'm hearing from you is that the process of uh, selecting and purchasing food and having it um, delivered to you and so on, all that can be a digital product in a sense. Certainly a digital or digitally enhanced delivery mechanism, absolutely. And if you think about the things that we eat in an average day, which of those things do we eat for pleasure because they taste good um, or for emotional satisfaction or for because they're healthy? And which of those things do we eat purely because it's convenient? Yeah. Right. So if you change the definition of convenience and all the healthy foods uh, and all the delicious foods are just as convenient to you as sort of prepackaged foods, does the, is, will that change what we eat and not just how we access it? Right. So that's something that we're thinking about. Fascinating. And the other aspect of this I just wanted to touch on briefly is that 
we've heard so many stories about the demise of brick and mortar. I think we, we reported on a, a report quite recently which suggested that a lot of um, brands who had online and offline presences were thinking of getting rid of their offline presence. And now suddenly Amazon mm. makes a brick and mortar move. Is it really that we're going to see brick and mortar transformed and disrupted rather than swept to one side? Well, it's a little early to say, but I, w- I think that, that that is what will happen. Certainly, retail- many retailers do not need to be have the, the number of square feet that they have today. They're having a hard time pushing the inventory and the turns out per square footage to have the level of profitability that they had before, and many of them have long-term leases or they have investments in real estate already that they're sunk into. So the question is, how do they use that space in a more profitable way? And so there are actually some really exciting opportunities for them to use that space differently and to bring consumers and shoppers into the store. So one way could be, for example, retailtainment, where, um, you know, if you think about, uh, I don't know, the old FAO Schwartz, or some people think of sort of Ikea this way, or various uh, Williams-Sonoma with cooking classes, you come there not just to shop for the merchandise, but to have an experience, to learn something, uh, to be entertained. So retailtainment would be one thing. We might also see, like today, if you go to the grocery store, you might see like a small banking branch in there, but you might see a specialty butcher shop, or a cheese shop, or a cafe, or other sort of... Um, partners that the retailer, you know, will will partner with to deliver um, an experience that's not sh- simply sort of put food in your cart and leave, but is more spend a little time, be engaged, meet people, etc. Maybe more of a, an experience that's a little bit more like a like a Starbucks or a cafe experience. Yeah, it's fascinating. Another big part of our lives being transformed almost as we as we speak. But I wanted to bring it back full circle to Catapult and just invite you to tell me a bit about uh, the kinds of uh, clients you're reaching out to, what your sweet spot is mm-hmm. in the market, and also your reach. Are, are you just U.S. or beyond U.S.? So we are primarily U.S., uh, but we, we do some work with, with global brands. Um, we have um, certainly a, a large uh, consumer packaged goods practice and always have, um, where we um, work with uh, various brands and help them to get optimal distribution at retail. We help them to architect their digital brand experiences. Um, We also work with a lot of uh, challenger brands, whether they are retailers or telecommunication companies or what have, or now I would say PeerPoint, I would would call them sort of a challenger brand. Uh, Folks who are trying to really transform the industries that they are in and they need to have a strong acquisition engine and they need to transform their digital experience and their omni-channel experience Um, and so we work with those brands as well. So we work across a variety of different verticals, um, primarily in the U.S. um, and it's a lot of fun. Okay, well Jennifer, thanks for giving us an introduction to the world of Catapult for any of the listeners who hadn't, hadn't been familiar with it before and also for your thoughts on the news of the day. Thank you very much. Thank you, appreciate it. And everyone, look out for the next one-on-one podcast.